1: Class three in our structured study of the Dhammapada, which John has subtitled Concise Dhamma Instruction. Uh, it's been said that this was instruction for monks and, you know, particularly newer monks, I believe, and, and you know, sort of dense instruction, but but also still really relevant to the to the Buddha's Dhamma. And um, maybe it would help, Zach, if I read our mission statement first. I don't know if that's been read to you yet, so this, this might be a good thing for you to hear, and it's good for all of us to hear. So, feeling like this is the time to read that. So, becoming Buddha Cross River Meditation Center preserves and presents a human Buddha's Dhamma, initially recorded as the second book of the Pali Canon, the Sutta Pitaka. Our practice is informed from over 300 curated suttas restored by John to their original intent and practical focus. Our practice is empty of imagined insight, magical thinking, mystical grasping after, and unfounded speculation. Our teachers and students remain focused on these suttas to develop a direct mindful experience of establishing a well-concentrated, supple, and conflict-free mind through the Eightfold Path. Is the eightfold path that Siddhartha Gautama taught over the last 45 years of his life with the sole purpose of abandoning self-inflicted stress and suffering through ending ignorance of four noble truths? So I think that'll help uh, as we go into this talk here. So the Siddhavaga, a well-restrained mind. And I'm gonna read John's introduction. The Siddhavaga reveals the suffering that follows from a mind rooted in ignorance of four noble truths and the peaceful mind developed through the eightfold path. It is through wise restraint that an ever grasping, continually distracted ego personality is subdued and the disciple gains the ability to think what they want to think whenever they want and does not think what is unskillful. Through right meditation, the disciple de- develops refined mindfulness, resting on ever deepening jhana. Jhana is another word for concentration. What we do in that practice that we just did there. So we'll get into this. And again, this is uh, in, in metaphor um, is the expression here. So it's it's a little um, it may be a little confusing, but I'm going to read through it. I may stop, and then we'll sort of talk about it. All right. The mind is fickle, ste- unsteady, and difficult to restrain. Even so, the disciple straightens the mind like a skilled fletcher straightens an arrow. A mind ruled by Mara is agitated, like a fish out of water, grasping, gasping, and flopping here and there. Um, John's words. So metaphors used in the by the Buddha to describe troubled. And distracted mind states and in this case the metaphor is of mara a malevolent deity that the buddha encountered throughout his uh, you know life and, and extensively throughout his meditation practice as he deepened it on his path to awakening um but we've sort of refined the context of that to mean distraction and, and as we work that's the sort of opposite of what we do and we practice we practice for concentration distraction would be the opposite of that so we're trying to refine our mind And as the metaphor just said, to straighten the arrow. It's a really nice metaphor to keep our focus on concentration rather than distraction. The mind ruled by Mara is agitated like a fish out of water, gasping and flopping here and there. The mind is difficult to restrain, ever changing, always clinging to objects of desire. The highest knowledge is restraint. A restrained mind dwells in peace. A grasping mind is subtle, hard to recognize. The wise restrain the mind. A well-restrained mind brings lasting happiness. Dwelling in distraction, the mind, disjointed from the body, wanders aimlessly. When subdued, this mind is freed from the bonds of Mara. So, Again, we have distraction and Mara as sort of this metaphor that, that distraction is always prevalent in the world. We ha- we have a world that appeals to our senses. We have six of them, and everything that we see out in the world can can be interpreted as a distraction. You know, we we want more of something. We want less of something. These are all sort of distracting thoughts. And if you think about the metaphor, the that the Buddha is using here, he's saying a mind that is ruled by Mara is distracted. It's like a fish out of water. Once we have distraction, our mind is kind of wired to seek more distraction. Until we have something to supplant that sort of hardwiring, like the Buddha is teaching us here, our concentration practice, we're continually sort of enthralled by distraction. That's that's what we know. We've grown up having our needs, you know, satisfied by distraction, distracting thoughts.
0: Yeah. Can you talk a a little bit about um, restraint and what the Buddha means by that? It seems like you wouldn't think that restraint is something that is good for the mind, but maybe.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll get to that right here. Um, As this continues, A grasping mind is subtle, hard to recognize. The wise restrain the mind. A well-restrained mind brings lasting happiness. Continuing. Dwelling in distraction, the mind is just disjointed from the body and wanders aimlessly. When subdued, this mind is freed from the bonds of Mara. So in in there is is a reference to jhana meditation. Dwelling in distraction, the mind disjointed from the body wanders aimlessly. When you practice jhana meditation and become aware of the sensation of breathing in your body, become aware of feelings in your body arising and passing away, become aware of thoughts arising and pass away, and becoming aware of the quality of your mind as it arises and passes away. Those are the four foundations of mindfulness. And... as we continue to, to refine our focus, we don't dwell in distraction. We don't, we don't keep needing to feed our mind with sensory contact. We're able to be calm. We're able to be restrained from all of this stuff coming into our senses. As we continue here, it's getting a little murky, but we'll clear this up. Wisdom is never developed in a mind that is ignorant of the heartwood, listless, not established in jhana. Wisdom is never established in a mind that is ignorant of four noble truths. They're not established in calm. The four noble truths, we may need to, to sort of state those for you, Zach. Four noble truths are, the first noble truth is there is stress and suffering. And and in the context of that, it's, it's an impermanence. Okay. So there's an impermanent environment and there is stress and suffering because we're ignorant. We don't understand that second noble truth is craving and clinging originate and perpetuate stress. And that's kind of talking about this need for distraction. We, we sort of crave for distraction because we don't understand something. We don't understand impermanence. We don't understand this first noble truth that life is inherently stressful until we have something or someone to tell us, the Buddha, otherwise. The third noble truth is the cessation of stress is possible, that we can actually bring a, bring a stop to this. And that's kind of what we're going to get to in this end of the sutta here. And the fourth noble truth is the eightfold path is the path leads to the cessation of stress.
0: The stress arises from ignorance of impermanence?
1: Ignorance of four noble truths, but yes, in ignorance of impermanence as the entry point, I would say.
0: So understanding of impermanence is what leads to cessation of stress.
1: Correct. Well, if thing, eventually
0: adding the connection to the not self characteristic that we talked about as well. Because of um, this misunderstanding of impermanence, we live a life of eye making. And when we understand that all things are impermanent, like we talked about, what, what could possibly be me if everything is impermanent? Nothing.
1: All right, so let's we'll continue here. Let me back up here. Wisdom is never developed in a mind that is ignorant of the heart. With listless, not establishing jhana. Where there is desire, there is fear. There is no fear of an awakened one. There's no fear of an awakened one free of greed and aversion, free of gaining and losing. We've heard about this in another sutta called the Loka Sutta, who just says where there's delight, there's fear, and where there's fear, there's stress. And Again, it's it's sort of weaving into that impermanence because we do not understand impermanence, we have a desire for distraction. And and when we when we desire things to be different than they are is when we experience stress. The wise understand the impermanence of form while fortifying the mind to abandon Mara. Established in right view, Mara conquered, now free of worldly entanglements. In no time, this body is dust, mindless, lifeless, a useless stone. An unrestrained mind brings greater harm than enemy, any enemy or hater. No one and no thing brings greater benefit than a mind well restrained. All right, so we can sort of now that we've completed the sutta. We can go back and sort of open this up a little bit. One thing that occurred to me here, especially in the beginning with the metaphor of the Fletcher and the arrow, I, I was drawn to that. Um, because, as we see, in, if, if we just use that first line here, the mind. Fickle, unsteady, difficult to re- is difficult to restrain. Even so, the disciple straightens the mind like a skilled fletcher straightens an arrow. So it's very important that we that we have a concentrated calm mind. It's, as, as, as the Buddha continues, an unrestrained mind <coughs> brings greater harm than enemy, any enemy or hater. So if we think of this arrow or this, this, Fletcher straightening an arrow, it's also as if our thoughts are arrows, right? I mean, once we release a thought, once a thought is or an arrow is released from the bowstring, it has no power to return. So our thoughts, as we learn more about the Eightfold Path, our thoughts inform our actions, our, our thoughts, words, and our deeds. And if our thoughts are restrained and they're not distracted and sent all over the place, we're actually able to you know, not cause any harm. It says an unrestrained mind brings greater harm than any enemy or hater. So Buddha's telling you that your distraction is the cause for your stress. And thus, if we're able to restrain our thoughts, not let them go at the bow and sort of come back to this practice that we're developing, our sense of calm, our sense of slowing down as, as we start to, to develop more concentration, we don't have one thought following the next, we have a bit of respite in between, we're able to not harm ourselves by not thinking unskillfully, and we're not. We're able to not harm others with, with our virtuous thoughts, words, and deeds.
0: That, uh, that picture of the Fletcher straightening arrows is, is really very uh, appropriate, because the way it's done is <clears throat> that you know Fletcher has a bunch of sticks next to him, and, and you see in the old uh, kind of anthropological movies you see how how they do that. You know, pick up one stick, kind of look at it, give it a little bend. You know, heat it over a fire, mm-hmm. set it aside, take the next one, do it again, and it's 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 a nice um, pointer to the repetitive nature of jhana. That right. it's not once and done, you go back to it again and again. Mm-hmm. You know, you have those sticks that you worked on, and you set them aside for a while, then you pick them back up again, and you straighten them back out, of you. right? So on and so oh. on. Uh, I that that idea of the, of the Fletcher is is, is really mm-hmm. very appropriate.
1: Yeah, I was drawn to it as yeah, well
0: because the John is never a once and done thing, it's it's uh, it becomes a uh, like a muscle memory that mm-hmm. you're training in, mm-hmm. instead of just, you know, going for the great insight. It's, right. It's very, it's, it's a, it's a slow and repetitive process, but mm-hmm. it's, but it's steady.
1: Yes. I mean, I was definitely drawn to that as well. I mean, sort of what's, what's more dangerous than a arrow without a target, right? It's not a tool then it's, something that's flying yeah. out there and that's sort of the metaphor for your thought if it's mm-hmm. just aimed nowhere then what's it going to result in right, right? if, we, if we're either
0: ineffective or it causes harm.
1: right right so that that was i was drawing that out I, I, and sort of the restraint is not letting the thought go not letting the book you may have the thought okay then we don't need to speak it or we don't need to act on it it's right comes back and it passes away it's that arising it's passing away and i just thought that the arrow and the bow and the fletcher sort of drew me to that um appreciate that comment um so matt i'm sorry i didn't particularly talk about restraint there um, if you'd like to maybe bring something up maybe that's yeah true. no i think i think you know you you, you started to bring it up in, in talking about
0: Bringing up the eightfold path and, and how, when we're restrained in thought, words, and actions, mm-hmm. that second
1: arrow doesn't strike, right? We don't we don't inflict ourselves with, or we don't release it and in, inflict it other ways. Right. Sort of the other side of that, yes.
0: So, in the context of Mara running throughout the Dhamma, Mara is is metaphor for distraction, but it's also metaphor. It's always metaphor in relation to Four Noble Truths. And so that level of distraction can be rather mild. i want to go watch the news instead of whatever else. Or it can be uh, it can be sheer terror is also a distraction. And so the metaphor of the Fletcher is, is straightening out that twisted Mara and Mara is always in, is um, impermanent and unknowable. So there's a, just before the Buddha's awakening, the description of his encounter with Mara was both terror and then seeing, the, seeing Mara as angry. And so Mara became very angry at the Buddha as his mind continued to calm, a twisted mind, if you will. But the Buddha stayed with Jhana and was able to straighten out by not being, by not giving in, or being distracted by Mara, but mm-hmm. you also have to understand that Mara—not not you, Kevin—we all need to—that Mara is not something that was acting on the Buddha. Mara was simply an aspect of the Buddha's own ignorant mind state, ignorant of four noble truths, that led to this conflict in his mind, this needing for for a straightening. Mm-hmm. Again, because Mara had control of his mind up to a certain point. Again, that, that's, Mara has control of our minds
1: as religion. ignorance and four noble truths. Right? Yeah,
0: is right. Mara also the clinging aggregates? Oh yeah, yeah. But we can't give a complete teaching tonight to, to, to mm-hmm. Zach and everybody else. Mm-hmm. That, that's <laughs> something else. Yeah, the, the five clinging aggregates are the, the Buddha's description of ongoing personal suffering. it's uh, that. It's important to remember that distraction is not just something mild. It could be seen as that, but distraction is also hatred and anger and terror and fear and everything else that has that has nothing to do with actual human life except that we make it so we attach ourselves to it. I made a really good point that that's that's what happens is that we, we cling ourselves to these to these distractions and then they become something that are debilitating, or we can straighten that arrow. Develop a common peaceful mind. Good teaching. You.
1: Thank you. Uh, I don't mean I didn't have no, no. to imply that you were done either. I'm no, no, sure. no. It's it's it didn't. <laughs> it was pretty dense. It took it, was, it took a couple of microscopes to break it apart. But we'll keep going around. I suppose, Matt, you want
0: to? No, I I heard that that no. Um,
1: the hindrances to practice are distracting. Out is distracting. Ill will
0: towards yourself or others is distracting. Um, uncertainty, Greed, aversion, deluded, thinking, those are distracting. So, and yeah, but
1: we can get... Okay. Yes. Can the oh, yeah. Uh, Thanks. Caught On up by that. When we <laughs> to
0: sit practice or when we attempt to um, you know when we get caught up you know or cut off in traffic and something ill will towards someone else arises yeah and and we're distracted by that ill will and you know like you had, had shared you were able to to practice restraint in that moment and not give in to that ill will so it's cool. Thank you, Kev.
1: Zach, what do you think? First down the class, welcome. These are our, our online friends. Hello, online friends. Brian is from Ohio. Jeff and Deborah are from North Dakota. South Dakota. North Dakota. Say South Dakota.
0: Well, it's, it strikes me as my thoughts come up very randomly, right? Mm-hmm. And therefore, we have a lot of arrows in the quiver. Mm-hmm. And you have to load the bow. And pull back and shoot. And mm-hmm. those are two different things, but sometimes it feels as if you're just standing there with a loaded mm-hmm. bow, right? You're just there immediately, mm-hmm. as opposed to other times where you kind of know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think those take different, maybe, I'm curious actually. Just just those me. take different levels of restraint. You don't take mm-hmm. the metaphors too far yeah. all yeah. we're referring to is developing a calm concentration calm. Yeah. yeah yeah developing a level, level of concentration no magical thing yeah. yeah yeah in this moment if you feel like you're you're about ready to shoot off an arrow that you think is not going to be a good idea you take a breath during in China meditation you recognize that mm-hmm. there's nothing personal here no reason to shoot that arrow. Yeah. gain control of your mind so that's the resolution to what you're talking about that second step doesn't have to happen that's why there's yeah.
1: your strength is kind of yeah. we've even talked see. about it. oh sorry no. oh see. no I mean in, in dhamma practice you start to encounter this level of calm and concentration and you notice it more and and we said that you really start to notice it in your speech and, and right speech is a factor of the eightfold path and John has said it and we've probably all experienced, you start to experience the Dhamma a lot of times with what comes out of your mouth and your thoughts are going to inform your speech. And, and we've heard it all before. Works can be, you know, they can be weapons or they can be jewels, right? You can do a lot with them and that's the intention behind it. Are we just speak in our mind to make sure everybody hears us and make sure I'm, I'm here and uh, you know, I'm right. Or are we, Letting, them, letting it all go, and when we feel it's appropriate, we'll say something. Maybe there's no nothing to say, and that's that's fine too. That's that's the practice of restraint. Really, you'll see it. Maybe I didn't need to say that thing what I thought. Right there, you go. So, that's a good place to check out.
0: Thank you. You're welcome. And I think the way you describe that encounter in your car is a good example of, you exhibited restraint, you recognize restraint, you recognize the situation, but then you also recognize those times when, I think you put it, it's going up the other side and you're, you're not restrained. And part of the aspect of restraint I like is this, Dom, this practice is a limiting Practice. it's restrained, it, it, it's keeping you in the middle, it's, it's not letting you go to the extremes and that it has to be taken beyond that intellectual understanding of restraint, that the mindfulness that you're developing is allowing you to recognize and to keep it to the virtuous factors mm-hmm. and that the concentration that you have to develop on your cushion can't be ignored you know it's so easy to just intellectually recognize that restraint at a stoplight so you know again twice a day every day and that's the tool of getting to that mindfulness then it just becomes this natural level of restraint
1: so thank you Kevin.
0: Yeah.
1: you in the back there, John.
0: Again, thank you, John. very good teaching. Um, and, and David's always going to pass, but then David brought up uh, that, that the Eightfold Path is a limiting path. And it's the path that, that provides restraint or wise restraint. So it's not some kind of vague concept of how do I practice it. As, you, as your concentration, as our concentration increases, we're able to hold in mind that's refined mindfulness or right mindfulness, the other factors of the Eightfold Path as they're, as they're um, relatable to this moment and what's occurring in my mind. So like you came across this driver and you might have gone to anger or even something worse, you practice wise restraint, even though you really didn't know the Eightfold Path completely yet, you were practicing it and you, you, you engage in right speech and right action. And that's an example of the limiting factors of the Eightfold Path. So the Eightfold Path provides wise restraint. It's not something that we have to figure out or grasp after we simply practice the Dhamma. And that becomes, And it's, it's an, you know, you look at pictures of the Buddha or pictures of people that really have developed calm. That's what they are. They're, they're an example of wise restraint. There's nothing, in this moment, there's nothing that could shake you. Mm-hmm. And that's the calm that we're talking about. The comment we're all developing, I think. So maybe we could even touch on that a little bit more. Go thank you. Um, One of the last um, sections is is uh, very telling as well. uh, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Where there's uh, desire, there's fear. Yes, and the second part of that is uh, the the wise one does not fear gain or loss. That's the mm-hmm. fear. Right. Um I found that a very. Uh, that that's one of those really useful little, mm-hmm. little sayings that you could apply all the time. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You're right, Raman. It's just that could be very subtle loss, but it's still mm-hmm. it's still distracting. There's still right. fear there, or it could be. You know, a tremendous loss. Like the tornadoes come in. Yeah. To yeah. your mind. Sometimes I look at uh, jealousy. In, in that way. Uh-huh. You know, you 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 fear losing something because you see somebody else getting something, uh-huh. um, and it's that's really subtle. Uh, it can it can creep in there in, in, in very subtle ways. It's not just you know uh, being subtle of of uh, being jealous of. Someone uh, befriending a friend of yours, for instance, it's one of those. But that's a um, that's a sensitive to impermanence mm-hmm. that you you develop, right? You know, jealousy is just impermanence. It is. So, it's, um, but it's also a recognizing the impermanence of of every relationship, for mm-hmm. instance. Um, but yeah. They can get really twisted too, because jealousy can run into envy, and now you're now you're stuck in bitterness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, can't you know? You got to work yourself backwards from bitterness, envy to suspiciousness. Meaning, I think that person is doing something that's right. hurting me. Oh God! Now, then, in your mind, you said, "Well, because I thought it must be true." Now I'm, lock, I'm locked into envy, right? And you can just keep going down. I had the great fortune of living in a community where. Relationships changed so fast and, and so intensely that somewhat uh, encouraged. Too. Uh, oh yeah, definitely <laughs> encouraged. Um, and, and the end result of it is, that a, you've got to see your jealousy like every day, and and b, quickly realized that it had it had no uh, it had no use, you know, in in real life. Uh, if you uh, if you see your you know your your friend and lover from the last night, uh, getting it on with with you know either your friend or a total stranger. Um, it goes away quickly, uh, but you get to see the subtler ones too. You know, if somebody gets a little bit more food in the food line than than you are, again, it's it's fear of fear of loss and gain. Thank you. Online
1: get you
2: so see everybody. <laughs> Mary. Hi, um, good evening, everybody. Great right. job, Kevin. Happy to see you teaching. Uh, hope to see more of that. Um, I think it's, my humble opinion is, I think it's important to Um, not get lost in the situation because on some level, I believe that all suffering is the same. Um, And in relation to wise restraint, It's wise restraint that's not pushing anything down or away or denial or any of those things. It's an acknowledgement that the wise part of it is because it's informed by the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. And so no matter what it is, whatever the situation is, and there's all sorts of, you know, pain that we can feel um, and take a moment to feel it. Um, The death of someone, you know, I don't think there's any pain that you can't take a moment just to feel it. But then the practice brings you, the concentration brings you the understanding that um, if informed by the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, you will see things clearly and you'll know what to do in the next moment. You'll recognize the hindrances you're experiencing or the aggregates or you know, insert, maybe a lot of other things, but you recognize it and you take a breath and you refrain from reacting to it all um remaining in wise restraint um and causing no harm to yourself or to others so um thank you for your teaching kevin
1: thank you mary deborah i'm not calling on you first but second okay <laughs> if you'd like to share i'm just
2: Um, I've been contemplating sharing, and I had a rough night last night, and Mara was in my head, and the only thing that my head could tell me was, do no harm towards others, do no harm, and that's all I can say. Thank you for your lesson, noble silence.
1: Thank you. Thanks,
0: Deborah.
1: Jeff, I'm not sure what else I could add. It was all covered very beautifully.
2: You know,
0: Kevin, it, it was you did a great job, and everyone contributed exactly, pretty much what I was thinking through each mm-hmm. phase. So I appreciate
1: it. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, Jeff. Jane,
2: Kevin, great job. It's nice to see you there again. Um, Thank you. I was thinking about the Fletcher and uh, you know, he has to be skilled in order to do that with the arrow. You know, it's not like he just automatically knew it. It was a skill that he had to develop. And I think of the practice, it's the same way. It's something that we need to to work on and develop. So I like that metaphor. So thank you for the teaching.
3: Thank you. Brian. Right, Kevin. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I agree. Good to see you tonight. Um, I, I was just contemplating on Mara and that a, an unrestrained mind and unconcentrated mind and then a mind that's ignorant of the Four Noble Truths does just get lost, right? And it gets lost in this this dense and it does feel malevolent at times discursive thinking and it's with that that right effort right concentration and right understanding that we can see through that um that illusion and realize it's it's you know it's not some external factor it's just us and it's our lack of understanding and once we develop that understanding the the fog clears the the defilements clear and you're you're left in this state of being okay with what is right and that's that that mind of calm and that mind of restraint um, so i i i love the metaphors that that come through in the dhammapada thanks for your teaching tonight my friend
1: thank you brian brian i think touched on something here that i don't believe I don't know how we didn't say it tonight what brian just described there is the process of being gentle with yourself in undertaking a dhamma practice and we haven't mentioned that to you yet right? Sorry that it took me that long to mention it. Be gentle with yourself. As you develop concentration, you start to see the distraction clear a little bit. You start to have that moment of, wow, okay, it's just someone passing me on the road. or It's just whatever. It's just a bad feeling or I'm just agitated. Whatever the feeling is, it doesn't have to be personalized. You're just gentle with it. Relax, turn to the breathing. Keep practicing as best you can. Come to class when you can and hang out with us. It's good sign. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. We'll do some meta. Let's wheel this around. Meta is... Well, John, how would you describe meta? What, what would you this
0: is the buddhist description of this is the buddhist description of how an awakened uh, fully mature human being lives in the world
1: i'm going to take one word out that that's not taken out at the beginning the karaniya metta sutta this is what is done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace let them be able and upright straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. May all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, The pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires is not born again into this world. Thank you for a wonderful class, Saga. Thank you,
2: Kevin. Kevin.
3: Bye. 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 Thank you, Kevin. Great job.
2: Thank you. Good night, everyone. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com Thank you Peace